Take your Bible and uh, let's jump into Acts chapter 18, Acts 18. I was going to move on to chapter 19. That was the original, my original intent was to move on into the next chapter, but um, there's this little scene that happens at the very end of of chapter 18 that just continued to grab my attention and um, excited to go through this with you. So I want to admit up front uh, that I'm not very pleased with my uh, with the title I've chosen for today's message. Uh, it, it's um, it, I don't know if you think about this, but sometimes choosing or selecting a title can be a real challenge, uh, more challenging than you would probably imagine. But finding a few key words and then putting those words together in a way that honors the text and kind of captures the essence of the message uh, is not always easy. And so I just apologize up front that uh, I don't really care for my title. Um, I think it it can be confusing and it kind of reads in an awkward way. Uh, I, I, I think it may actually raise more questions than answers. But I hope that over the next 30 or so minutes, uh, it might make more sense to you. And if it doesn't, then you can always blame Andre, because uh, I ran it by him first, and he signed off on it. So, um, so that's where we're going. But, but here's the deal. Into what baptism are you baptized? Now... You're probably thinking along one line of thought that I'm not sure the the question I'm asking is really getting at, but this is the question I want you to think about today as we walk through this text together. Into what baptism are you baptized? Here in Acts 18, we meet a man who knew of Jesus and even spoke of Jesus, and though as we will see, it would appear that he did not yet know Jesus in a personal way. He hadn't yet been what you might call, or what the New Testament calls, he hadn't yet been baptized into Christ. I'm not talking about the actual act of water baptism necessarily, What I'm talking about is what water baptism represents or symbolizes. Water baptism is, of course, it's an outward sign of an inward reality. It's an outward expression of a person's faith in Jesus. And in thinking through this passage this week, I couldn't help but think that what's happening here in Acts 18, or in this portion of Acts 18, is happening... In the, in the lives of many well-intentioned people in churches everywhere. That is, with people who are outwardly involved in various forms of Christian activity. They are. They are outwardly engaged, happily engaged, in various forms of Christian activity, and yet they may not yet know Christ. And they may not even know that they don't know 
Christ. In other words, it is possible to have it is possible to have the truth of, of Christ and even to speak about Christ and yet not know or trust in Jesus personally. And I pray that will make more sense to us as we move along. For now, I want to read it. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you again for our time this morning. I want to thank you for the truth of your word, the truth of scripture. I want to thank you for how it, uh, how it reveals who you are, how it reveals your heart to us, how it reveals who we are, how it reveals our hearts to ourselves. And I would just ask that as we come before this passage today, would, would you enable us to receive the fullness that you have for us from this text. Make us to be willing and eager to learn what you have to say. I pray that you would even put within us, even now, a desire to where we would, where we would lean in to make sure that we hear your voice and that you would confirm in us the wonders of Jesus and our faith in him. For we ask this in his name. Amen. So here we're introduced to Apollos. Apollos is Jewish. And yet he is from Alexandria in a Gentile region. Alexandria was one of the great cities of the ancient world. It was second only to Rome at that point in time. It was renowned for being the, uh, the, an intellectual, educational center. It boasted a university, fun fact, it boasted a university that housed one of the world's largest libraries at the time. Thought about you, Jeannie. Uh, one of the world's largest libraries at the time, well over 700,000 volumes, which is significant given the fact that uh, the entire population of uh, Alexandria at this time is about 600,000. So 
the library, the, the, the number of volumes in this library outnumbered the number of people in the city. It was just steeped in culture and ethnic diversity. Alexandria was made up of Egyptians and Romans and Greeks and Jews. And uh, by all accounts, the Jewish population was very influential. Of course, if you look at the map, it is located in northern Egypt on the southern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. And as the name would suggest, it was founded by Alexander the Great in, um, in the year 331 BCE, or nearly four centuries prior to the episode recorded here in Acts 18. Now, we aren't told what brought Apollos to the city of Ephesus, but we are given quite a bit of detail about Apollos himself and his teaching, preaching ministry. Now, as I, as I read through this section, it would seem to me that uh, verse 26 is pivotal. It, it is kind of the fulcrum verse on which the entire passage balances because something happens in verse 26 that seems to change the course of Apollos' life and ministry. Specifically, his encounter with this couple, this married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, to whom we were introduced earlier in the chapter, and we know to be ministry partners of the Apostle Paul. So I want to take this passage in three small parts today, uh, and then consider them one at a time. I want to talk about who Apollos was before he met Priscilla and Aquila, and then consider what happened when he met Priscilla and Aquila, And finally, I want to talk about what became of Apollos after his meeting with Priscilla and Aquila. So first, what do we know about Apollos before he met Priscilla and Aquila? Now, according to verses 24 and 25, we know that he was actively talking with others about Jesus However, his understanding of Jesus only went so far. Look at how Luke describes him. Look at his many attributes. Apollos is Jewish. He's from Alexandria, meaning we're to assume that he's well-educated. Everything in the text certainly supports this notion. He's eloquent meaning persuasive and winsome. He's competent in the Jewish scriptures. He's been taught in the way of the Lord. He's fervent in spirit. The word there refers to, the the word picture is a a boiling water. And so there's a fiery side to this man. Uh, This is a man who speaks with passion and conviction. And he spoke about the things of Jesus, notice, and And when he spoke about Jesus, the things he said about Jesus were true. He spoke and he taught accurately the things of Christ. I mean, this this man checked all the boxes. Well-educated? Check. Captivating speaker? Check. 
thorough knowledge of Scripture? Check. Instructed in the way of the Lord? Check. Passionate, persuasive communicator? Check. Teaches the things of Christ accurately? Check. Check, check, check. Check, check. And check. Paulos was the man. I mean, if, if he posted his resume on monster.com or indeed.com or some other online job search forum, I can nearly guarantee you that churches everywhere would be lining up to hire this man. He'd have as many interviews as he wanted and would likely be the leading candidate for every job opening. After all, who wouldn't want Apollos as a preacher? I mean, Ivy League educated, theologically trained, uniquely gifted communicator, knows scripture inside and out, able to present the truth of Jesus in a spirited, almost spellbinding way. Come on, almost every congregation would slobber all over themselves with the chance to have this man. Especially, or particularly, in our day today, when we fawn over celebrity pastors all the time. I mean, can you imagine the draw if Apollos was your man? Paulus had so much going for him, was actively engaged in preaching Christ. And yet we're told something was missing. Something was something was just off. Luke tells us in verse 25 what it was that, that Apollos knew only the baptism of John. In other words, he knew only a small part of the gospel. He didn't understand, he didn't yet know the full gospel, and because of this, he hadn't yet come to saving faith in Christ which is why I believe God providentially led Priscilla and Aquila to him. One day, Apollos was in the local synagogue and he is, he's bringing it. I mean, he is, he is proclaiming his message with boldness. And as God would have it, Priscilla and Aquila happened to be in the synagogue that day and they heard Apollos speak and, and, and when the service concluded, we're told how they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So I just picture this as they're, they're in the room, they hear Apollo speak, they probably look at each other, and they're like, hmm, hmm. And so somewhere along the line, I just picture them approaching him, pulling him aside, hey, can, 
you want to come over for dinner tonight? Hi, we're Priscilla, we're Aquila, nice to meet you. Can we, can we, can we have you over for dinner tonight? And then maybe over a few meetings, we don't know, they begin to hear more of his story and explain the things of God in a more accurate way. Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and yet now he was to be instructed in the way of God more accurately. He'd already knew the baptism of John, but now Priscilla and Aquila would explain to him another baptism, another kind of baptism altogether. And so what I want to do here is I want to just ask the question, what was the baptism of John? And what does it mean that Apollos only knew this baptism? Well, the baptism of John refers to the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, remember, was the God-appointed forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. His role, his primary role, was to prepare the people of Israel for the arrival of Christ onto the public scene. His his primary purpose in life, Uh, uh, the divine call upon John's life, a call that came to him, even before he was born, was to point people to Jesus. John was born about six months before Jesus, and when the time came for Jesus to begin his public ministry on earth, about 30 or so years later, John began to to preach publicly a baptism of repentance. Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's his way of saying, the king has arrived. He's here. Repent. Siri, I'm not talking to you right now. John knew that the forgiveness of sins, that he knew that forgiveness of sins is possible only on the basis of repentance. That we cannot expect God's forgiveness if we don't see our need for it and desire to do better. He knew that Jesus had come and what Jesus had come to do. And so he called people to repentance, urging them to confess their sins before God and then to begin to live in a way that befits a life of repentance. And the response, we're told, was incredible. I mean, people were flocking to John by the dozens or hundreds even. They were just openly confessing their sins. They were being baptized um, uh, by scores of people were just being baptized. And John said, listen, I baptize you with water. The Christ who comes, this one whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie, He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring you into a relationship with God that I can't even begin to touch right now.
So when Luke says that Apollos knew only the baptism of John, it means that Apollos knew of Christ. He knew what, what Christ had come to do, and therefore he knew of the need to repent before God, but, 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 but apparently he didn't know that repentance before God must be accompanied by faith in Jesus. Although Apollos knew that John pointed to Jesus, it seems that he hadn't come to faith in Jesus himself. And because he didn't know Jesus in a personal way, through faith, he didn't live in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I think I think one of the, the great challenges to people who are uniquely talented we know these people, right? We, we, we've seen, or at least we know of these people. Just people who are uniquely talented is, is one of their unique, unique challenges is, is them knowing that their talent can only take them so far. And in the end, it cannot bring them any closer to God. Now, of course, I'm not speaking as a uniquely talented person, I'm just imagining what a uniquely talented people must go through. I mean, I'm telling my wife all the time, like, I so admire those people who seem to soar like eagles. You know what I'm saying? Like, they just seem like they are on another level. Because my experience is more like, I'm like, I'm like the chicken who's running and flapping its wings like mad, but never able to get off the ground. Apollos, by all accounts, Apollos is uniquely talented. He is uniquely skilled. He is uniquely equipped and effective as a communicator. It's not that his message was poorly communicated or even that he was insincere. It's just that the message was incomplete and in his own strength, and therefore it fell short of the mark. You see, Apollos was a disciple of John, but not yet a disciple of Jesus. We find an example of this, another example of this, in just another few verses, the very next section in the book of Acts. In chapter 19, Paul comes into Ephesus, and he meets some wonderful God-fearing people. And Paul asks if they've received the Holy Spirit when they believed. And they said no. And then they admit, we, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, well then, into what baptism were you baptized? And they reply, notice, into John's baptism. And so just like Apollos, these were disciples of John. And so Paul says, and this is the key statement, Paul says, well, listen, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come. That is Jesus. In other words, what Paul was telling them, and I believe what Priscilla and Aquila was telling Apollos, is repentance is not enough. By itself, 
Repentance is not enough. True and saving faith is repentance and faith. Repentance, because it involves the confession of sin and the return to God, faith in Jesus, because only Jesus can cover our sins and restore us to God. So when Paul explained this to these disciples in Acts 19, they realized that all they wanted to repent and return to God, they hadn't Uh, They hadn't, in fact, put their faith in Jesus, but now they did. And notice, once they were baptized in the name of Christ, they received the Holy Spirit. So I think these are the things that Priscilla and Aquila shared with Apollos. Maybe Apollos had heard about the life of Jesus, but he hadn't come to understand the significance of Christ's death. Christ's resurrection. Apollos uh, didn't know about Christ's ascension to heaven. He didn't understand Christ's present rule from heaven as the sovereign king over the cosmos. He hadn't heard about Christ's promise to send the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit had, had indeed come to empower the followers of Jesus. So in Apollos... Priscilla and Aquila, they saw a dedicated man with amazing attributes, a man who desired to know the way of the Lord and to help others know it too. He was very sincere, but when hearing Apollos teach, when they actually stopped to listen to his message, they realized that he didn't know the other half of the equation, that his understanding of the gospel only went to hear. He knew repentance, but not faith. He knew about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. He was a spirited man, yes, passionate and bold, but he hadn't yet received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit himself. After meeting Priscilla and Aquila, though, and learning the way of God more accurately from verses 27 and 28, it certainly seems like Apollos had come to saving faith in Christ. Because from this point on, he is a changed man. Now, we don't, nothing is said. Nothing is said directly or explicitly about a conversion experience in the way we might imagine. Nothing is said in the way we might want it to be said about how Apollos received the Holy Spirit, but his his life and his ministry experience after this time with Priscilla and Aquila certainly leads to that assumption. Because when he wished to cross over to Achaia, Luke writes that the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. This is basically saying that, that the brothers in the faith, that is, Apollos' Christian brothers and sisters, they had now become members of the same spiritual family, God's family. Therefore, the church in Ephesus wrote a letter to the church in Corinth 
that Apollos was going to take with him so that when he arrived in the region of Achaia and ultimately it's the city of Corinth, the Corinthians knew they would take this letter, they'd read this letter, and they'd know to receive and welcome him with open arms. It was basically a letter of recommendation. It was a letter, it was a way of vouching for Apollos. Uh, The Ephesian believers were telling the Corinthian believers that Apollos is a believer too. And now a brother in the Lord. And once Apollos had crossed the Aegean and arrived at Corinth, he began, notice, he began helping the believers there who through the grace of God had come to faith in Christ also. But I want you to notice how, specifically how he helped the believers in Corinth, uh, which is indicated by the word for that begins verse 28. It says, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. You can almost picture the scene. Before Apollos arrived, the Corinthian believers were being constantly harangued and opposed by these Jews who were refusing Jesus. Just as they uh, had opposed the Apostle Paul, remember when Paul was in Corinth, so they continued to attack this young Corinthian church, this young Christian church after Paul left. But when Apollos arrived, the tide began to turn. And it really was like there is now a new sheriff in town who, being a Jew, knew the Jewish culture, knew the Jewish scriptures inside and out. And because he had now come to faith in Christ, he was refuting their arguments publicly and powerfully. His Jewish heritage his Alexandrian education, his theological training, his eloquence and passion and gifts in communication. Now it all came together under the direction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit as Apollos now preached the full gospel of Christ who not only came to us and lived among us, but also died for us and rose again to grant us new life. And when the people in the church at Corinth saw and heard this, when they saw and heard Apollos declare this message so unashamedly and with such great effect, it greatly encouraged their own faith as well. It was like, yeah, that's right. Yes, what he said. That's right. You go, Apollos. It just had this wonderful, strengthening effect. In fact, as Paul will later state in his first letter to the Corinthians, if you want, you can look this up later. There's a section of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but really it gets into it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Some of the Corinthians were so appreciative of Apollos that it actually became a source of division in the church. Because some people began to say, 
I follow Apollos. While others said, no, 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 I follow Paul. Even though Paul and Apollos were brothers in the Lord, and they each delivered basically the same message. And church is just another example, sad example, of how easily we can take something that God intends for good and in our selfishness, in our own pride, we twist it into something that's not good at all. And so Paul, when he writes that letter, he says it's not about Apollos. It's not about Paul. It's about God. It's about following Christ. And I just trust and pray that we would have a similar approach today. Knowing that when it comes to the ministry of the gospel of Christ, it's, it, it, it's not about who's doing what or who gets credit for what or whose side we're on. It's about coming together, working together for the cause of Christ while trusting that God will make something of the work. And to further this point even more, I love how Priscilla and Aquila, they watered the seed that had been planted in Apollos. I mean, just stop to think. They could have so easily heard this man and just, they could have just written him off. Worse yet, they could have begun to say things like, don't follow Apollos, he's preaching an inaccurate gospel, an incomplete gospel. But they didn't do that. Instead, they said, somebody seems to have planted some seeds in Apollos' life. Let's go water those seeds. We don't even know. Scripture doesn't even mention who, who was the person or who were the people who planted those seeds in Apollos' life. We don't know. Someone did. But we know that Priscilla and Aquila watered them as they had opportunity. And Apollos, I love this about Apollos too. Here's Apollos with his lofty education and his supreme talent. And he is not too proud to take instruction from two blue-collar tent makers. Though he was a teacher himself, uh, he knew he didn't know at all and that there was more for him to learn. You see, 
some people, they know the right answers, or at least they think they do. They know the right answers, but they still need help in understanding them. They need, to, they need help in understanding how those answers apply to their lives. They need the way of God explained to them more accurately. And the truth is, church, so do we. We need to be teachable all the time. The spirit of teachability. Because the moment we shut ourselves off to the possibility of new understanding or insight, that's the moment we cease growing. I mean, after all, the roots of even the most established trees still dig for water. And Apollos could have easily shut them out. Who are you to tell me? I've already been instructed in the way of the Lord. Don't you see my degrees hanging on the wall? Don't you see this large number, these large numbers of people coming out to hear me? As you think back over your life, I'm sure, I know, I know you can identify those in your life, those people who have planted seeds of faith in your heart. You can think through, remember, you probably see their faces even now, who then watered those seeds, helped them grow. And I'm also sure that you can remember, even now, you can remember the people God put in your life into whose lives you planted and watered. Others have invested in you, and you have invested in others, just like Apollos, planting and watering as God brings the growth. And so I want to conclude with this. As we have seen in the life of pre-conversion Apollos, it is possible to have the truth of Christ and to even speak of Christ and yet fail to know and trust in Jesus personally. In other words, if you only know facts without faith, I can give you all kinds of facts about Jesus. If you only know facts without faith, then then you've been baptized into something. You've been baptized perhaps into nothing more than theology. You've been baptized into theology. You've been baptized into doctrine. You've been baptized into uh, uh, behavioral ethics. 
you've been baptized into general church culture, but if that's it, then you have not been saved to God. On the other hand, if you have come to a place in life where you have entrusted your life to the care of Christ, and what that means is that, that, that you have placed trust in the meaning and implication of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, then like Apollos, after learning from Priscilla and Aquila, you have been saved to God. And so, into what baptism are you baptized? A baptism of repentance only, in which you only sense your need for Jesus, or one of repentance and faith, in which your need for Jesus has led you to surrender to Jesus. to believe and trust in Jesus. Though repentance is required, I'll close with this. Repentance alone cannot mend or restore the relationship that sin severs. It cannot. Nor does it provide the power to overcome sin. Faith, however, does both. For when we place our trust in Jesus, He mends the relationship, and the Spirit of God Himself comes to live with us and even in us so that we can live each day in His power, not our own. I think this is one of the lessons from the life of Apollos. May God make it true of us as well. Amen. Once again, Lord, we're very thankful and appreciative. We're grateful for this time. We trust and pray and hope and ask that this, these minutes we've shared together this morning around the scripture and in the scripture, we just pray that the scripture would get in us and have its way in our lives, that these moments would, would matter, that they would matter for the rest of this day, the rest of this week, the rest of our lives, and even on into eternity. And so, please help us to be people of repentance and faith, both repentance and faith. Help us to be people who are seed planters and seed waterers. And help us to be receptive and humble enough to allow others to water the seeds planted in us. Make us useful for the cause of Christ, but even more, bring us 
into sweet fellowship with Christ that we may enjoy him all the days of our lives. For we ask this in his name. Amen.